Hello, hello, Roberto. Welcome to the podcast. Um, I'm so glad we got connected. We're a mutual friend and um, to, to be able to have this chat with you. Um, thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for inviting me. This is such an honor and a pleasure to be here with you. So Roberto, just for our audience to get a little bit of a context about who you are and a little bit about your career journey, which I think is very interesting. Give me a little snapshot of where do you come from career-wise and just what are you doing these days? Fantastic question. Well, um, I'm just a typical geek, the typical nerd that loved doing engineering since I was six years old. Uh, it's been my life, uh, basically, doing contraptions, making things. I have, or I used to have this knack to, to make things work. So I was very focused on that all my life, all right? So I've been doing engineering for, the, for more than 30 years now. And um, yeah, I've enjoyed doing that thoroughly. But the interesting bit, thing, Elena, that um, I always wanted to do this because I, at an early age already, I understood that by doing this, people were benefiting from that. So when I was um, repairing stuff at home, people would say, oh, good job, or oh, thanks for that. I, we didn't have to buy anything new thanks to that. So that sort of things uh, triggered this idea in my head that, yes, I have something I can, I can do that I enjoy helping other people. So that's what I developed even further, this interest in engineering and electronics in particular. Then I moved into robotic systems and automated systems. I've been doing this for, as I said, 30 years now. Now, the bit that really, really, really struck me was in every of the projects I've been part of, the difficult bit was the people, the relationships that we built behind and within the project. So if I was working on technology to help people, and then I found out that by helping people directly, I could have a bigger impact. That made me think. So that's why I made a shift a few years now. I'm now doing what I call leadership engineering, which is a way of referring to this idea that you can design things so that they work in a certain way. And in particular, I'm applying this, if you like, engineering knack that I used to have, or I still have, um, to design work environments, leadership ways that enables people and organizations and projects and in general people to feel good about what they do. Mm. So that's what I'm doing now. Hey you, thanks for watching. If you're enjoying this episode, make sure to share it with friends and family who might find it interesting. Make sure to hit the subscribe button as well to stay up to date on weekly new videos that are going to be coming out with some awesome guests that I bring on. And uh, if you have any questions, use the comment section to ask me questions, to interact. I look forward to talking to you. What I'm doing now. That's awesome. And you know what I find interesting, uh, and we've talked a little bit about this before we started recording, is that you come from from just getting to know you a little bit. Um, you you like you said like uh, you come from uh, a very analytical kind of engineering background, and and I work with a lot of analytical people right now. And what I've noticed is that um, analytical people tend to be a little bit more introverted. And and I know that's the that was the case with you when you told me about that. And so you work very hard to then kind of 
engineer yourself into, if I may say this right, into a person who is now actually doing a lot of engagement with, with, with teams, with leadership, um, uh, with individuals within leadership roles and, and podcasting, which is not always easy for introverted people. So, so I just want to understand a little bit about, was there something that you did to, to kind of get yourself out of that comfort zone? Um, talk to me about that. Yeah, I don't know if you can see right now this little me talking to my head saying, what are you doing here, Roberto? Stop talking. People are going to see this. So yes, I always had and always have this voice in my head. Just so you know, all my school time, I was purposely choosing to sit at the back of the class at a corner so I wouldn't have people behind me or to one of the sides so I could control people. I could see everyone and more importantly, no one would talk to me. Mm -hmm. So that was my attitude all the time. So I became this engineer. I started working with people in projects and I still felt that way. Mm -hmm. okay. So answering your question, how I managed to overcome this it's very interesting. I don't feel that I have overcome this, but I'm trying mm -hmm. not to listen to it. Okay. So I realized that to, to build connections with people, it was important to me, even though I didn't know how to do it. I didn't develop that social muscle when I was young. So the way I found out that I could build um, longer lasting relationship with my colleagues and even with family and friends was speaking to them, talking to them, being part of something with them. And I forced myself up to a point to, to be that open. So I, I feel like I'm still shy, introverted, yet I, I enjoy. Once a conversation starts flowing, I enjoy it. But I can tell you, I've been sweating <laughs> the heck out of my hands two minutes before uh, we got connected today. That's my natural me. But yeah. yeah. Once I'm there, I'm enjoying, enjoying it. And I believe this is something you can train by, by using it more regularly. Yeah. And, you know, as you're speaking, I, th I, th I think it was, the, it was the wrong way to look at it from my side saying it's something you overcome. I don't think we should overcome things like I th because it's, it's who we are, but it's more about how do you manage it? How do you make sure that it's not an obstacle to your career progression? And this is what and this is what we, of course, very well known in, in learning and development is that when we, you know, as you grow in your career, and especially as we're becoming more and more techie, um, it's really important to have those relationships. And we're going to get into that as well, because you've said that to me before. You're like, it's not about tech, it's about relationships. And so it is an essential, you know, ability that we all need to have to build those relationships and to, to kind of come out of that the comfort zone, even for those little periods of time. Um, and, and it works for different, uh, for different people. People. And like for you, for example, you said you just try not to listen to this, this little guy in your head that says, you know, this is crazy. We should not be doing this. This is not our, you know, etc. So I don't think people should overcome it. So I have to correct myself. I think it's more of just how do you manage it in a way that it's not causing a stall in your career? Um, or maybe, maybe, maybe some people are okay with it. Some people just want to be very technical and maybe that's okay, right? Um, so, I mean, naturally, I'm a very talkative, extroverted person in general. So it's hard for me to understand. And that's why I always 
try to to get more information from people like yourself and um a, a funny example actually is my business partner who's very analytical complete opposite of me i'm not analytical at all and uh, he makes me better every day i swear but um you know and i know his his you know when we have like public speaking engagements like he blocks his calendar before and after because he needs time to prepare <laughs> and then he needs time to like chill out like you know it's you know for me i'm like i can go talk to 100 people right now if you want about what i don't know i'll make something up so, so you know and it's it's a very nice dynamic and i think having him as a business partner really um opened up my eye to this whole world of people because as a learning and development professional it's essential to understand you know how different people learn of course and operate and um so it's very interesting so thank you for sharing that I have a metaphor for you. If, if you want to, to understand a bit better what is in my head, I don't know if you have, if you've ever seen the typical fly bouncing on the crystal yeah. and again and again, and you don't want to kill it. You just want that little thing to be free and you open the other half of the window because it happens that that half of the window went open. You open the window and the fly stays there bumping against the same piece of glass. That's me. That was me when I was um, less into conversation with people. And um, sadly, or fortunately, I would say, I should say, I learned this the hard way. I was, just as you were des describing about your uh, colleague, very mm, data-driven, if you want, very technical-oriented. And um, I had even uh, this idea that I don't need to talk. I was telling myself, I don't need to talk. My work would talk for me. Mm -hmm. People would see <clears throat> the value I bring here. People would value me. People will understand that I'm here to support everyone. I don't need to talk. <clears throat> I can be mistaken when I use the wrong words, but my work will never be mistaken. What happened? Well, you guessed it. No one noticed it. No one valued it as I expected. And uh, if anything, I never built a connection no one there. So I had to learn the, the hard way that if I wanted to have relationship, I had to speak with people mm. and get to the human side of them. And that's how things started to uh, unfold for me. Yeah, I, I think that's such a brilliant point because at the end of the day, and this is a lot of, you know, the mistake that a lot of professionals make is that they think that their work is just going to speak for themselves. And and unfortunately, for better or for worse, it's just not how it goes a lot of times. And it's not a fair world. And you can be the most brilliant person. And I, and I say this to people I work with. I say, you can have the best CV on paper. But if nobody knows about you, if you don't bring that to attention of the right audience, of the audience that wants that needs to notice you, you know, unless you are the the the, the rare, you know, kind of these innovators and, and these people that create these amazing products that just cannot be unseen, but it's it's only a small percentage of people do that. So for the majority of us, we have to present ourselves to the right people in a way that we get noticed, right? So it's not only about being an you know an outgoing person that can build relationships. You need to have the skill set, but also you know only having this this talent and skill set here without having this power to say who needs to know what is it that I know and be able to communicate that, especially for people working in big corporations where there's so many people and the stars are usually the ones that are noticeable, the ones that speak up and they might not be the best in their field and then their colleagues might be way better, but because they have this combination, oftentimes they're the ones who get promoted 
because as you very well said, relationships are important and it's it's essential. Um, so that, that that's a great point. That's fantastic. Uh, actually, um, many years afterwards, that's uh, when I started reading uh, more intently about all these phenomena because I wanted to understand why I was like that, why I was thinking that way, and uh, why other people, just like you mentioned, uh, perhaps with the, um, less technical skills than other people, uh, they would get higher faster within the corporation. So I started reading a, a lot about this, and uh, well, I came across uh, emotional intelligence. So mm -hmm. I read uh, a num numerous books from Daniel Goldman, for example, and he mentions there something that's, that was really, really interesting uh, to me. He says there that um, your technical skills, in a, broadly speaking, your technical skills are just a threshold to enter the organization. And I believe that because during the interview process, there's very little you can grasp from the other person in terms of personality. Um, we usually tend to focus more on the technical skills, the hard-earned skills, and the CV, all that stuff. So once you have all these boxes ticked, you get into the, uh, that organization and what will determine with uh, much more precision, if you're going to be successful within that organization, is your emotional intelligence. And we're talking about, as you mentioned already, public speaking, relationship with other, empathy, okay? Um, knowing how to, um, to master your feelings in the heat of the different situations you will experience in a, in a working environment. So it's impressive how these skill set It's nothing that you usually learn or, or study or talk about when you develop your hard skills at the university or whatever you got them. Okay, so it's, uh, there is a disconnect between emotional intelligence and hard skills that indeed make a huge difference as I witness myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, if my audience, at least the people that, li that listen to my podcast and follow the stuff that I write, they know how big of an issue I have of the fact that a lot of the times at universities and even earlier on, we are not taught these skills. There's no focus on it. We're taught on how to take exams. We're taught on how to follow directions. We're not taught to be creators. We're not taught to be, um, you know, uh, critical thinkers necessarily. We're not, we're, we're very boxed in and pushed into one area based on, you need to get good grades. You need to, you know, this is what you need to pass. This is how you get into the best university versus really trying to help that individual build, um, build their own career essentially. And, and a big part of that is that self-awareness, which is a big part of emotional intelligence. And yet we don't talk about it. We, we in schools and then into universities, we are consumers. We're, we just consume what other people or and followers, right? We just consume what the teachers and, and professors are telling us. And, and it's very limited opportunities to actually think freely as much as there's talk about it but if you look at the curriculum it's very limited and um and anyway i can go on for i don't want to go into the rabbit hole of that conversation but i have a big issue with that and part of the things that we're solving with besser and part of the problems we're solving is closing that gap because it is essential and you know in the work that we do with corporates of course and even in your case as well you know that it's very difficult to make specific changes at mid and senior levels of your career. 
right? And in the corporate world, age plays a role, regardless of what anybody says, age plays a role. So if you haven't figured out certain aspects of emotional intelligence, you, you're going to have a hard time breaking through and growing in that corporate role, especially, I mean, so all I'm going to say is age plays a role in the corporate world. And um, so, but anyway, yeah, it's, a, and it's, it's, I don't, I don't know, I talk to people all the time about this, and I, I still don't know why we haven't adjusted curriculum in a more intensive manner to focus on these skills. Sure, there are some that do it, but you know, it's um, it's it bothers me. <laughs> Frankly, I believe there is a trend, a positive trend here, Elena. So thank you for mentioning this. Um, I agree with you. Uh, if I told you all the experiences I had with real managers speaking this weird way, one of the last managers I quit uh, because I quit that manager because of the way he was speaking. Um, that guy. It was there for uh, longer than 30 years. It's still there, 30 years as a manager. And the guy said, uh, I don't need to. He was a manager of an engineering department. He, he said to me, um, I don't need to know the people here. Uh, engineers don't want to be told, uh, to, to, to be talked to. Engineers don't want to talk about fluffy stuff. So they want to sit at the computer. They want to do their stuff and let alone to be creative under engineering. Okay, so that the conversation started a bit rough at that time. But the point was that the guy, after 30 years of being a manager of this engineering department, he still thought in the same way. So I'm not blaming him for, being, for thinking that way when he was 10 years in, in the tenure of that position, because 20 years ago, we thought very differently within organizations. But nowadays, with all this information flowing back and forth, thanks to internet and social media, with all the new generations that thankfully are giving feedback to everyone, okay? I, I, I don't understand how can we still have managers that are oblivious to the needs of the humans behind the roles, okay? Mm -hmm. So that conversation after almost two hours, uh, didn't go as I expected, and the only outcome for me was to quit that organization, okay? Because mm -hmm. I couldn't uh, withstand working for someone who wouldn't see me as a person, but only as a cog in the system, as we used to say, okay? So, but going back to your comment about education, I think this is changing, or the trend is towards change. Mm -hmm. We have people like uh, Sir Ken Robinson, sadly he passed away last year. We have people like Seth Godin and many other uh, thought leaders that are advocating for a different educational system. One that is not based in the industrialism where we make um, parts that fits within the system. We see people as they are people and we provide for their needs during the formation years, okay, during the education stages. And uh, we allow for creativity, we allow for diverging uh, thinking, we allow for um, coping and uh, coping for and catering for the individual needs instead of having this cohorts-based mm -hmm. type of education. We shovel in people in one year and we take away uh, a number of people from the preceding years and we insert them into another machine in the industry that model doesn't work anymore as as we are seeing uh, everywhere but the new generations are changing things 
because you, you're very young, you are outspoken, you are changing things by the way you communicate, you're telling people how you think, and that is driving this change. So let's keep this conversation on. Mm. Yeah, no, beautiful point, Roberto. And yeah, I, I, change is definitely happening. I guess it's just not happening. As, I guess when I, when I think about it, it's what frustrates me as a young person, and I mean, I consider considerably young still. <laughs> so, is that when I was at a university, it was the same thing, and that was like a decade ago, you know, and it was the same thing. And 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 looking at how fast other things change, yet this essential thing of that will determine the success of our future generations. The fact that we're not putting as much effort into it as, as we should be, this is what frustrates me. So I think change is happening, but it is so slow. And, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just too slow, I guess. And, and, I, and what's happening, Robert, what bothers me the most is that it's becoming worse. The gap, all the change is happening. It's not happening fast enough because the corporate world is accelerating. University is being left behind. And the change in university and education system is so slow, they can't keep up with the innovations in the corporate world, right? Which is why there's a lot of alternative programs that are happening, which maybe that's the, that's the solution. Maybe that's the one we need to stick with, with companies creating their own academies, with technical trainings, with some uh, uh, you know organizations that uh, bring back apprenticeships, not just for technical roles, but across board uh, on all different areas. And I think I'm a huge fan of apprenticeships. Anything that gets you hands-on as early as possible, again, not only in like factory work or engineering work, but like marketing, business development, sales, whatever it is, like all sorts of backgrounds. So, so but, but yeah, you're right. I mean, the, the change is happening. And, um, and what's interesting also earlier, you've mentioned that there are people um, that look at the skill set as fluffy. And that's what we say, like it's fluff. And I've heard people say this, especially technical people all the time, like this is fluffy. We need metrics, we need facts. I'm like, that's true. But also now, thanks to neuroscience and a lot of research and behaviors, you can actually identify how the brain processes information based on how safe a person feels, how connected they feel, how much more productive they can be when they feel in a safe environment and they feel that their company cares for them, right? And, and now the world has changed in, in the last, you know, uh, many, many years, but we're no longer stationed in one geographical area where that's all we can do and we don't have a choice now we can work anywhere from anywhere for anybody different you know different places so opportunities are much more for the for the employee essentially so and if i'm an employee and i can work for somebody who is visionary who is who understands me who 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 you know believes in um that human connection and it doesn't just see me as a number, as a robot working in a factory, I'm going to go for that person versus the guy that you were describing, the manager who was like, this is fluff. Like, at the end of the day, it's about my well-being. And, and do you know what I'm saying? So, and, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm an elderly millennial, but a lot, of the, a lot of the generations behind me that are coming in are even more focused on that aspect of well-being. So it's almost like inevitable that we have to give it attention. And again, we are, but I just don't think we're putting as much attention as we should as institutions and as corporations. That, that, that's true. I believe that there is a lot more we could be doing now. But there is a good thing, though, here. And uh, it's the, we have a, 
as human, we have an expiry date. So at some moment in time, all these managers won't be there yeah. for good or for bad. And the new generations will come and they have already experienced the world differently. I never had too many friends when I was a kid and a young person. But nowadays, even if I stay in this room for months, like just happened with COVID, I would still remain in contact with a lot of people. So that is a normal for my kid, for example. He's in contact with other people, even if he stays at home, thanks to these digital technologies. So by force, all these new people have a different view about connecting with people, with mm -hmm. other people. So that is my hope for these organizations that even if the current managers won't change their mindset, they will be gone at some point and new people will come with fresher ideas. Yeah. Yes, no, yeah, absolutely. So to take an optimist side, yes, I agree with that. <laughs> I have to go into the, into the, because it bothers me so much. I can't help I myself. Like, and, and there are very practical solutions. So, uh, you know, like individuals like yourself, this is what you do. This is what we do. There are solutions to these things. And the more simple than we imagine, it's just the mindset. That's the difficult part is to change the mindset of people. But um, let me ask you this. Um, so, because I had this conversation recently with a couple of different people. So how do you, okay, so just to give you some context, of course, for, for, for us, like, you know, our generation, it's more of like, we really believe in this face-to-face -face relationship building. But then, you know, I have a sister who's 19 years old and, you know, and I have friends who have kids that are teenagers and for them, an online relationship is perfectly fine. Like they don't need to meet you in person. They're completely, they feel just as connected to you uh, online as they if, if they would be on, in uh, in person and so the conversation I've been having with people is like do you think that especially with all this talk about metaverse whatever that is what I mean no I don't think we know yet but with all this world of virtual reality and you know holograms which I feel is coming anyway I, I mean it's already probably happening on some aspects so it's probably going to pick up in the next five to ten years do you think that is it time to rethink that the, the only way and the best way to build relationships is face-to-face. -face. Do you think that new generations are going to see online relationships as something totally normal and they'll be able to build those relationships online? Or do you think that still nothing can replace the face-to-face? -face? Just personal opinion. Fantastic question, Elena. Well, um, to start with, I believe that it used to be face-to-face -face the only option. The alternative was to send over uh, postcards. I would take weeks or months to get a, a reply, okay? So the face-to-face -face was the best option that we had. Then we had a telephone line, but we missed, uh, through the telephone line, we missed the image, the visual cues. Mm -hmm. And there are plenty of studies on human communications how a great percentage of the message is conveyed not on the words, but on the way we speak, the way we move, the way we present ourselves. That those micro gestures uh, that we offer with our face and our body, our body posture, can talk as much as a word or even more than the words that we are using to communicate. So that's why the video side of the interaction is important. So I wouldn't say that a telephone call would ever replace a face-to-face -face interaction. But nowadays, with the digital platforms that we've 
come to enjoy during the last two years, for example. Um, we have developed this muscle a bit stronger, the muscle of uh, having, I would say, good the human interactions through the screen. Of course, I'm not capable of uh, looking at your entire body expression at the moment. And of course, I'm going to miss a number of cues there. For example, I don't know if you're crossing your legs or if you're sitting too back or if you're leaning on one side. So we use, um, we, I mean, people normally uh, tend to mimic the other person's posture when uh, we are in rapport. Uh, it's a natural um, feature of our brain. These mirror cells there will try to imitate the other person. Okay, naturally, you're not conscious about that. So I can't imi imitate the entire posture that you may have right now. So I'm missing those cues. Yet I feel that we can establish a very strong rapport anyways. So that all thinking that I had to see your entire body posture to understand you better during the conversation, uh, that got shattered, at least for me, during the last two years with all these Zoom calls. Okay, I, I managed to, I, I believe, at least that's what I believe, that I managed to, to get a great deal of rapport with everyone I was connecting to just through the screen, okay? Now, moving now into the metaverse and all these augmenting uh, reality, virtual reality worlds, uh, who knows, okay? If there is one amazing characteristic of us as humans is our adaptability. Okay, and uh, we have shown through history that we always thought about the future as something to be scared about, that we may not be uh, capable of dealing with properly. And what happened over and over again in every case is that we managed to overcome the situation. We managed to make uh, a good deal out of what was happening there. So, yes, I still have this old view that I may enjoy much better having a proper interaction, proper, I mean, a full interaction watching and seeing the other person's expression than watching an, an avatar that can be a digital version of yourself. So I don't know how accurate that version would be with respect to your physical um, way of uh, communicating, mm -hmm. but I'm sure we will adapt. And as long as we have the intent of communicating properly, it will work. Yeah. I, I feel the same way. Um, I, I'm, I'm a very much in-person kind of, you know, I, I think most people are. I think it's much easier to build. But I've also met people like yourself and, and, uh, and a few others, many others, actually, over the last couple of years that are in different parts of the world. I mean, you were right now in, in the UK, right? I remember yeah. you're, you're in the UK. I'm in the States. Um, we would not be able to, to establish a relationship without, without this. And what's interesting is that um, I was literally talking to somebody the other day and she's in New York and she was like, Elena, do you know we've never actually met in person? I was like, oh my goodness, we haven't, but I feel like we know each other, right? So it, because, because over these conversations and even online, we've built this relationship somehow. So it does work to, to, to an extent. Um, so I, I, I'm also, I'm optimistic about that. I think it's just comes down to to having, I guess, uh, to learning how to have these conversations online and maybe, uh, and, and that's a big thing in, in uh, organizations right now as well. It's just, don't just go straight down to business, like have a conversation about the person, like how's their day going? Like as just as you would, you know, um, in an office environment, like replace the water cooler moments with a few minutes of 
let's catch up on what's happening in your life before you start every meeting, right? And I think that's where the key is. I think it's just about the quality of the conversations and and um, and 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 having video on. I think is very essential. So anyway, uh, different conversation perhaps. But yeah, so I think it's um, yeah. I I think we're moving in the right direction. I think it 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 makes it more accessible for people as well around the world to. To have access to opportunities, to have access to learnings and individuals that they can learn from and connect with, and um, yeah. So let's see. I'm curious. I believe the the, the key to having these um, positive interactions is, as I love uh, the way that Seth Godin mentions that all the time, is seeing the other person, mm. truly seeing the other person. I'm not talking about the video. I'm talking about the empathy that you need to have to understand the world from their point of view, from their knowledge, from their beliefs, okay, from their fears. So when we do that, I believe that the means, the channel we're using goes to a second place. So once we have this connection and um, the human to human connection where we see each other beyond the media we're using, beyond the screen, then the screen comes uh, to a second level it's not that important any longer we could have a telephone call and i would still be able to see you in my head and imagine how you feel mm. through your voice right i think that's such a brilliant point um empathy on a much deeper level right so to and that is so hard to do and i mean i talk about this stuff a lot and it's and and it's so hard to do it's it it requires such uh, deliberate and focused attention to train your mind to not let your emotions and uh, and um, preconceived notions and, and judgments that we all have and all of these things and thoughts and uh, assumptions about somebody to not let that get in the way of you seeing the person for who and how they truly are and and how how are they experience life and how they make decision and where that's coming from. And I think it's so such a great point. And I want to talk about that. So, and, I, and I'm sure you do this a lot with, with the work that you do, because that is a big part of EQ, emotional intelligence. That is a big part of leadership development and managers. Like, how do you get the best out of your people? You need to see the world from their point of view. You need to understand their values. You need to understand what matters to them so that you're able to tap into that and, and understand what are their motivating factors. You cannot treat everybody the same because motivating factors are different for everybody. Some people are happy to clock out at 5 p.m. and go home and, and spend time with their friends. That's all they want. Some people want a little bit more. Some people don't care about salary as much as others or titles or career progression, et cetera. So, and the only way you do that is by being open to seeing that person. So the question to you is, how, 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 how do we do that? I mean, what are some, I mean, even for myself, like I'd love further tips, like how would you recommend to people to be more empathetic? How do you, how do you do that? I guess if there's some tips, I don't know. Oh yes, absolutely. And uh, there is uh, this fantastic tip that I got from uh, a very important workshop I took uh, some time ago. Better Questions was the name of that workshop um, delivered by this, uh, lovely lady in, in Australia, um, she talked about the power of telling less and asking more, okay? Now think about that. We as leaders, as parents, as managers, as good friends, we want to help. We have 
a certain skills, certain knowledge, and we see a situation and we say, ah, I know what can I do there. So you go there and you tell people, oh, this is what we have to do. This is what you should do. This is what you could be doing. This is what is not too right. And I think you should be thinking in, in this other way. With all the best intentions, mm. we are positioning ourselves as experts. We're positioning ourselves as the one who have the truth on their side and the other people are less than you. Okay. We don't mean that, but that's how we come across when we tell people. So <clears throat> the alternative is very, very powerful and it taps into empathy. The, the alternative is to ask instead of telling, but not to ask closed questions. Do you know this? Yes or no? Mm -hmm. Or leading questions, questions that would take you into the arena I want you to be. No, questions that perhaps are based on what you wanted to say, but you're not telling that directly. So Elena, have you thought about the possibility uh, that new generations uh, would bring new knowledge to the, to the learning process? And you would say, oh yes, because whatever it is. So the idea of asking questions that puts yourself um, in a position of listening more, Mm. Okay? And when we listen more, we give the other person space for them to shine and to show themselves to us. So we can start seeing the other person. So, oh, I didn't know that you thought that way. Okay? Mm -hmm. Quick examples. It happens all the time with my kid. He's now nine years old. But I can tell you, when he was seven, uh, we got into this lockdown situation and I had to take care of homeschooling. What a difficult task it was for me because it was very difficult to be empathetic enough with him. Not because I didn't love him. I would kill myself for him. But it's because I didn't understand what he didn't understand. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So in one exercise, very simple exercise, uh, English uh, assignment, he had to read three words. Three words. That's it. And he had to highlight the common letters within the three words. Mm -hmm. a prefix or something like that that was common on the three words. So I read to him the three words and I asked, okay, what's common between the three words? And he answered whatever he thought it was. And no, no, it's not that. So I tried not to tell him the answer and to drive him into finding the answer. After 10 minutes of an intense argument with him, because he couldn't manage to answer the question, he was trying to make, make me feel, I don't know, whatever. I realized that he didn't understood two of the three words. Mm. So it's like noise in his head. As soon as I identified that he didn't know this two of these words and I explained, oh, this word means this and the other word means that. Ah, now I know what you mean. And he answered the question right away. Mm. So that lack of empathy on my side mm. that destroyed the entire relationship at that moment because we ended mm. up hitting it. Okay. And it was me not listening to his need uh, and not trying to find out what was happening in his head. Mm. How many times that happens in our relationship with employees, friends, families, and everyone else? Yeah, all the time if we don't pay attention. Uh, it's, uh, that's such a good example. And I agree with you on the questions thing. I, I, that's, that's very powerful. I always tell people, like, if you want to say something, ask a question. Turn that statement into a question. Question you're going to get a lot more out of that person and, and where their head is at. And then once you understand that, you either understand their level of understanding of that topic or where their head is at, you'll also gain perspective. 
because when we're asking closed-end questions, it's very limiting to that person to think freely and to really speak, you know, to really figure things out on their own. And that's the, that's what we do in coaching, right? It's like, we're not there to tell you what to do. We're there to, to help you get to your own answers. And, and I truly believe we all know the answers. It just requires asking the right questions. And, and, and it's so powerful. I personally have coaches and mentors and, and business coaches and you name it, because there's a lot of things we don't know and we don't know what we don't know. And the only way to find out is by, by change of perspective, by having our eyes opened and, and all of us need it, regardless of who we are. And it's not always easy to do it on your own with yourself, right? So even if you read or listen to something, it's different than if somebody's having a tailored conversation yeah. that is tailored for you. So it's, um, I think that's such a great example. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, oh gosh, now I'm going to think about it all day. Like, what am I, what have I done? Like, now I'm going to think about this. I'm, I'm already like, you got my mind thinking. I'm like, okay, what conversations did I have here? What did I miss yesterday? And, and I mean, I, I, I practice this stuff like, uh, you know, but and the, the point is that it's difficult even for individuals like ourselves. I'm sure you find yourself. I mean, you oh, just yeah. give an example. It is continuous. You have to keep yourself in check and be mindful of these things. And that's why this whole journey of EQ and leadership, it's an ongoing journey. It's, there's no end point to it. Um, I love this. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> Imagine how, how it is like for an engineer, like, yeah, I, I know the answer. I know the answer. I know how to fix your problem. I'm a problem solver. This is yeah. what you have to do. It's very hard for us. That's why we come across so... <clears throat> difficult to talk to sometimes mm, right because yeah. we don't know how to ask yeah there's so many people i want to send this podcast to. <laughs> <laughs> there's so many people i'm going to send this to <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway um listen i want to just uh, just quickly ask about you as an entrepreneur as somebody who does who does independent work which requires a lot of resilience on its own a lot of adjustment and things like that and something I ask people is, are there a specific set of habits or routines that you have to, to manage all the things that's happening in your life and, uh, you know, between family and, and doing independent work and consulting and, and this leadership development, are there things that keep you at ease every day that you do? Yes, fantastic question. And I'm, I'm really, really happy to, 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 to share a couple of tips uh, of my own. This is the problem. You are an entrepreneur and you have a family and you also want to have a life. How you manage to make all this happen in the 24 hours that you have a day. Okay. So then you, you turn your, your gaze towards all those successful people out there that also have only 24 hours a day and they still do it. They still make it to the end of the day and they have a smile on their face every night. How do they do that? So I've been always puzzled by that, okay? I could only manage my work or manage my family or manage my own um, hobbies, if you want. But m having all this together, it's been always a problem for me until I understood uh, some key aspect of time management. I mean, it's logical just to think that if you have 24 hours a day, you can't spend 25, okay? So you have a hard limit. You can't do longer than 24 hours a day. Okay, so if you have a too long a list of to do things or things to do, you would need to choose wisely what of these uh, elements would 
fit within my limited amount of time that would take me where I want to go. So this is a kind of cumbersome question, but it's easy to answer. It's just going through the list and picking from the list the things that are truly important and truly impactful. Okay, that's my two criteria right now. Why important? Because I feel satisfaction when I do that. Why impactful? Because from everything I want to achieve, if I dedicate my scarce time to doing things that don't have any impact, that won't propel me forward, then I'm basically wasting my time. So I may have a number of things that are important, but don't have enough impact or a big enough impact. So I should prioritize, and I do that myself, those things with high impact and high importance. But then I stumble in a <laughs> with a big, big boulder in the way after I understood that, which was then you need to actually dedicate the time to do it. So the second tip I would want to share here is block your time. So you have your calendar, you have the number of hours in a day, then you put there uh, some brackets or you draw a, a box, whatever it takes. This half an hour, these two hours of these four hours, I won't touch it. These are exclusively dedicated to do X activity, okay? Which is important and impactful, okay? And you know what? You need to turn off your mobile phone, disconnect the internet if you need, and do whatever it takes so that you don't get distracted. You don't feel compelled to look at your WhatsApp or whatever it is that may distract you. Even if you need to close the door with keys so the family won't enter, okay? That is important too. Now, I tried that and I didn't feel too good about it because I felt that I was missing a great opportunity of sharing with my family. So my solution to that was, well, when I don't need to close my door to my family, when they are sleeping. So I'm waking up every day around half past four in the morning and from half past four in the morning to half past seven in the morning, they are still sleeping. So at half past seven, I have, I have a, a hard stop there. I start making a breakfast for everyone, getting the clothes ready for my kid to go to school, etc. But I have three hours mm -hmm. for myself. I don't like waking up early, but I like even less uh, having my time interrupted. Mm -hmm. that's brilliant yeah i i I'm, I'm very much a morning person i feel like that's the 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 and i don't i don't have a family that that, that shares a home or anything but um it's so essential just even before the phone call starts or you know anything it's it's your mind is so clear it is my most creative time um i i cannot stress it enough and and i know some people are like night owls but i really feel like there's something in the mornings it's just you cannot replace um, you know, you, you, I, I don't know anyway, but yeah, it's, uh, uh, I think it's spot on. And I love that because it's just about, again, like making the time and, and, and that's why I encourage people to do like when they say, like, how do you manage all these things? Like, well, you just have to make, you have to prioritize what's important to you. And I think once you have that clear of what's important, what's impactful, like you said, then everything else kind of falls away. And then you don't mind waking up at 4.30 or 5 a.m. and working because it's important, it's impactful, and you know where it's going to take you. And time goes by very fast. And unless you have a system in place for yourself, you, you can very well be in the same spot doing the same thing next year unless you prioritize it. So, um, so thanks for sharing that. Um, 
I, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I'm really, really, uh, thank you. Thank you so much. I wanted to also ask you, where can people find you? Where do you hang out with socially? Is it LinkedIn? If somebody wants to get in touch and learn more about your, uh, the, the work that you do with organizations and individuals. Yeah, fantastic. Um, I have my little website, which is in, in the process of being rebuilt. But yeah, you can reach me through that, which is uh, www.mindgenuity.co.uk. And um, I'm also uh, reachable through LinkedIn. Uh, you can search mm -hmm. for my name. Um, you will find me there. And uh, lately, I've been also rather active uh, on Clubhouse, the social audio mm -hmm. platform. And uh, I'm finding that uh, as a very interesting experience because I can connect with real people, talking in real time with them mm -hmm. and uh, having conversations just like this one we're having today, mm -hmm. um, which I'm also sort of enjoying and learning from. I can have that um, regularly over the platform. So yes, please reach out uh, on that platform as well if you want. And um, about the, the, the work I do, well, uh, please, by all means, let's initiate the conversation. Just ask whatever you want to ask and I will reach out to you as well. Awesome, and I'm gonna include all the links and all the information that you just mentioned in the uh, description. So you guys will have access to it. Uh, again, Roberto, thank you so much for this great conversation. I very much uh, uh, grateful that we got connected and um, I'm sure we're gonna have many more conversations to come and I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you. Absolutely, it's been my honor and my pleasure. I'm so grateful for having this connection now and looking forward to our next conversation, Elena. Thank you. Thank you.